0: So how many of you are familiar with uh, some Civil War history today? The Battle of Little Round Top, uh, which was part of the Battle of Gettysburg, 1863. If you don't know this story, and I didn't until recently, it's a fascinating story. And the central figure is a man by the name of Joshua Chamberlain. He was born September 8, 1828. And bangor maine and after receiving his college education he returned to his alma mater which was Bowdoin college and he became a professor there he taught languages he taught rhetoric uh, but when the war erupted in 1861 he enlisted in the union army by may 1862 chamberlain had been promoted to colonel to colonel and he commanded his infantry unit but his name was etched into history books Because of what he did on July 2nd, 1863. Colonel Chamberlain was ordered to occupy some land between two hills. Big and Little Round Top. And if the the Confederates were able to get control of that land. The thought was then they probably would. The momentum would swing and they would most likely win the war. So it was a really significant assignment that he had not to surrender there. And so uh, Chamberlain and his men. Withstood six different confederate attacks. But they were, uh, suffered some heavy losses. They were down to 80 men. And even worse. They were running very low on ammunition. They had about a, a one round left per soldier. And so here he is faced with a depleted army. With very little ammunition. And the, the reasonable thing to do would have been to surrender. But that wasn't how Chamberlain was wired. And so he... Was given a command not to let the enemy take this ground. And he intended to keep that command. And that's why he made a defining decision that would have seemed ludicrous at the time. With just eighty men outnumbered by about five times, he took his, his sword, pointed toward the enemy, and gave the order, charge. And these eighty men took their bayonets and, and rushed down. ...toward the enemy, caught them completely off guard. They were not expecting this, and in about five minutes captured 400 soldiers. And as a result, were able to, to keep that territory. Historians that, that look at that battle will tell you that if he had not made that decision... ...if he had surrendered, most likely the entire uh, history of the rest of the war would have been different. Many years later, Chamberlain was reflecting on the battle, and, and he, he said this. He said... I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. I knew I may die, but also knew I would not die with a bullet in my back. Chamberlain's bold and decisive decision reminds me of the way that Jonathan defied all odds, and he picked a fight with some Philistines in 1 Samuel 14. And we'll read this in a minute. You can begin finding your way there if you'd like. Uh, But just a little bit of of background before we start there. Remember that Jonathan that we're talking about today was the son of Saul. Saul was the king at the time. And in the previous chapter, Jonathan had attacked one of the Philistine outposts. And so they're very upset about it and they're beginning to send raiding parties out. But something else had happened in chapter 13 that was really significant. And that was that Saul was gathering the men for battle and before they went into battle, they were going to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so Samuel, who was the prophet at that time, the one who had anointed Saul as king, Samuel was to come and offer that sacrifice. Well, Saul's there waiting, and they had they'd given a, they'd agreed that on the seventh day, Samuel would come, and he was late. He didn't get there when Saul expected him to get there, and his men are getting restless. Some of them are beginning to desert them and go away. And so Saul panicked. And he did something he should have never done, and that was he took the initiative on himself to offer the sacrifice to the Lord. Something that only a priest was allowed to do. And just as he finished offering this sacrifice, Samuel shows up. And Saul begins to excuse his behavior and say, you know, you were late and, and all this, so on and so forth. But, but he gets... A strong reprimand from Samuel. And that's where in chapter 13, where Samuel says to him, Because of your disobedience, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you and your family and given to another. Which we now know, of course, to be David. But so, so this is where Saul's headspace is going into chapter 14. If you've ever been strongly reprimanded for something, you know it takes a little bit of time to recover, right? It, 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 he's in a place where he's not prepared well to lead. And he's made a mistake here of acting when he should have waited. And so now in chapter 14, we see him waiting when he should be acting. And so Jonathan, his son, uh, steps in and, and takes action because his father won't. So let's read about it in 1 Samuel 14. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozez, and the other Sene. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps, now this is the key to all this, understanding this, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come up to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Like Joshua Chamberlain, it seems that Jonathan was a man of action. But unlike his father, he wasn't taking action because he was trying to take matters into his own hands. He was taking action because he believed that God had delivered them. You remember what he said here in verse 6. Perhaps, you know, the Lord will fight for us. Maybe God will deliver them. Because he believed that it didn't matter whether you had a bunch of people or only a few people. If God's going to deliver, them, then God would deliver. And he makes a great point here. Because we see throughout the Old Testament. How many different examples can you think of where God miraculously delivered his people. And it, they were facing overwhelming odds. That, that doesn't really matter. And uh, just thinking through a few of those, certainly the core redemptive story of the Old Testament is the parting of the Red Sea. When the Israelites left Egypt and God parted the waters and they crossed over on dry ground and then the Egyptians tried to follow them, they didn't have to engage them in battle. They followed into the, to the waters and God brought the waters back, wiped them out. Never had to, to fight that battle at all. Another of my favorites is the story of Gideon. Judges 6 and 7, Gideon is afraid. He's hiding because uh, he's afraid of the Midianites. And God comes to him and says, I want you to to lead my people out against them. And and so he gathers an army, but then God whittles the army down to only 300 men. And then he takes them out. And when it's time to, to engage in battle, by the time they get there, what God did was turn everybody, turn the Midianites against one another, confuse them, they start killing each other. So they didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to do anything. And then just one other example that's another one of my favorites in second chronicles 20 a real similar story where Jehoshaphat he was king of Judah at the time and there were three different nations that conspired to fight against them so you can imagine you know fighting one maybe even two nations at a time but three of them are going to combine and come against you and so he heard uh, what was happening and he did the right thing the first thing he did was he called for a fast and he called for the people to seek God and they did And he's praying and he's reminding God of his faithfulness and reminding God of what he's done in the past. And then you get to the end of the prayer and this beautiful, beautiful um, conclusion to a prayer, which is a great way to pray, by the way, if you're in a time of uncertainty. Listen to what he said at the end of the prayer in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. He said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, what a great prayer. God, I'm not sure what the answer is here. We're outnumbered, but we're looking to you. And God provides a prophet to him, and the prophet says, go. I'm going to deliver these people into your hands. And so they do, and they go down there, and the same thing happened that happened with Gideon. God had turned the people against one another, and they just started killing each other. And so by the time uh, Jehoshaphat and the people get there, there's no battle to even fight. They've already wiped each other out. Now, Jonathan's case is a little bit different because Jonathan does have to fight in this battle, uh, and, and many times that is the case. It, God doesn't always just say, you know, I'm going to wipe everything out, and then you just show up. Sometimes we're a part of that process, God working through us, and we have to engage in the battles. But, but the point is, the battle is the Lord's. And Jonathan believed that, Jonathan knew that, and so he had confidence to move forward believing that. So here's the first thing that I want us to learn when it comes to being all in from Jonathan's story and that is that we trust God to move. It's not about what we can do and our plans and our thoughts. It's about what God does and we trust that God can do what he wants to do. That the results to whatever it is, you're probably not going to go out and engage in a physical battle right now, but whatever it is where you find yourself facing some type of opposition, Listen, the, the results are in God's hands. And so we trust God to move. We don't try to do things ourselves. We, we allow God to do uh, His part and what only He can do. And then we, we see that again here in uh, verses 9 and 10. He basically had a plan, and his plan was, okay, if they say this, that'll be Our sign that God is in this, if they invite us to come up to them, which is exactly what happened. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer went right up to him because they knew that God was saying, I'm delivering them to you. It's amazing to me that um, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they made a point uh, in verse 8. It says specifically, let us cross over to them and let them see us. Okay, So they're not trying to sneak up on them. This is not a surprise attack that they are planning here. He said, let's just put it all out in the open because his point here was they're depending on God, right? They want to see, is God in this or not? We're, we're not trying to be clever here, but we're seeing if this is God's battle and, and if it is, uh, then, then we're good because he understood that the issue here is not who's in the battle. The issue is whose battle is it in the first place? And if it's God's battle and you're fighting God's battle, you're in a good place. So they come out right in front of them, right out wide, into the wide open, let them see them. And it reminded me of a story that I read recently. I recently mentioned to you a book by a guy named Brother Andrew who's called God's Smuggler. And he tells stories of smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. And one of my favorites is when he uh, arrived at the Romanian border, and there was a long line, and they were checking the cars very carefully. And you could not even think about bringing Bibles into the country at that time. Very, very uh, uh, dangerous thing to try to do. And so they were hoping maybe they would just kind of quickly pass the cars through, but he realized they were stopping them. And every single one of them, they were searching them. They were having to take all the contents of their car. They were spreading it out on the ground. And they were going through every detail. They even had a car in front of him that they took the seats out. They took the hubcaps off. They spent an hour searching through these cars. And as he gets up toward the front, he begins to, to pray and to try to figure out, what do I do? And this is what he said. He said, I know... That no amount of cleverness on my part can get me through this border search. Dare I ask for a miracle? Let me take some of the Bibles out and lay them in the open so that they will be seen. And that's exactly what he did. He just took the Bibles out. Instead of hoping that they wouldn't find them, he just put them right out there in front of them. And then he said, Lord, you've made blind eyes see. Now make seeing eyes blind. And that was his prayer. They get to his car after thoroughly searching every single car in front of him. He starts to get out. They don't even let him out. They just wave him through, and he pulls right on through. Uh, Great stories, great examples, and it's encouraging to read that kind of a thing and say, you know, the God who did this back then still does these things today. But Jonathan was saying, look, I'm I'm not depending on my own cleverness here. We're not trying to, to spring something on them we're gonna let them see us and then they invited them come on up we'll teach you a lesson and Jonathan knew okay God is in this now here's something interesting to me is that why is it that Jonathan is the one who's having to take action here and why is it that Jonathan is the one who believes that God is going to work I mean we saw uh, we talked about Saul a moment ago Saul is still terrified You know, he acted when he shouldn't have before, and so now he's just sitting around when he ought to be doing something. It says that he's under a pomegranate tree. The people have been hiding from the enemy. He's not doing anything. And then there's somebody else who's mentioned, a guy named Ahijah, who is the great-great-grandson of Eli, who was the the, the Lord's priest, the first one that we we, uh, see mentioned back in 1 Samuel. Now Eli unfortunately did not do a good job of passing his faith on to his children and descendants, and so apparently that may have not have gotten passed on to to uh, um, ah- uh, not Ahita That's a different Ahijah here. So he's a priest. He's wearing an ephod. Why in the world is the man of God not the one saying, "Hey, God is in this. We can trust God." He doesn't. But Jonathan steps up and he does that on his behalf, and, and Jonathan is the one who believes that God is going to move. So the hard part to all of this is this question. How do you know when it's God leading you to do something bold like Jonathan was doing or when it's your own idea, right? That, that, that's when it gets a little difficult sometimes. Um, and there's not always a real clear, you know, right and wrong answer to that but but one thing that does stand out to me from what I read here one is as we said a moment ago Jonathan's depending on the Lord you know maybe the Lord will deliver us. this isn't his own idea it's it's really following God's direction it's the same thing by the way when we see a little bit a few chapters later David when he goes out to fight Goliath Saul is still doing the same thing he's still hiding from the enemy he's still afraid to engage and David's response is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? His, his confidence came from who God is, not his own ability. Same thing here we see earlier uh, with Jonathan. And, but, but here's the point in all this is Jonathan was a man of action. Yes, he depended on the Lord. And, and I do believe he had a clearer understanding of God's leading in this process. But he was ready to go. He wasn't just sitting back, you know, sometimes we can just be so passive and sit back and, and there's something to be said for, for not jumping the gun and getting ahead of God, but there is something to be said for being a person of action, being ready to move and do something as God leads and not just be so passive all the time. It makes me think of Hebrews ten thirty nine. it says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved church as followers of Christ, if you are a child of God, that, that statement should be true of us. We don't belong to those who shrink back, but we belong to those who have faith, who stand our ground, who are ready to engage with the enemy. And that's who Jonathan was. He wasn't paralyzed by fear, but he was ready to act. I'll tell you one thing that I think helped him to be ready, helped him with his boldness, or at least it affirmed his boldness, was when he spoke to his armor bearer. And look in verse 7 at the way the armor bearer responded. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. This guy says, whatever God is leading you to do, I'm right there with you. I'm in it with you. And that leads me to the second thing when it comes to going all in, and that is that we rely on others. See, very, very rarely will God lead us to to do something solo. I mean, look at throughout Scripture. I mean, even Jesus, when he took the disciples and sent them out, he sent them out in pairs. God very rarely will say, I want you by yourself doing this. But in this case, it was just Jonathan and his armor bearer, but he did have someone else to come alongside him. That's why we talk over and over and over again about the importance of having people in our lives that, that we can rely on, people that we have what we call biblical community. People, and that's a great question to ask. Are there people in your life that if you get a, a direction from God or a vision from God and maybe it seems a little crazy, but you share that, are, those, are there those people in your life that are like, I'm in. I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's, you know, let's, let's do this. We, we're going to trust God together in this area. We need those kinds of people in our life. I'm telling you, if you don't have that in your life, that's a significant thing to to, to look for. But the question then becomes, well, how do I know the people that I can really rely on like that, right? Because maybe you've been burned in the past. Maybe you have have tried to rely on people or you've tried to establish relationships and it didn't go so well. Um, And and that's that's a pretty big question, right? But here's just some simple, I want you to just stew on this a little bit. If you want to find people that you can rely on, be reliable. Be a person who is is steady in your own faith. Because, yes, it was the armor bearer's job to go with Jonathan. I understand that. But from his response, when he says, I'm with you, heart and soul, to me, that says there's a lot more here than just a duty or an obligation. What he's saying to Jonathan is, I trust you. I believe in you. And if God is leading you this way, I'm, I'm all in. See, it was Jonathan's character that caused his armor-bearer to respond the way he did. He saw this lived out. Now, we don't, we don't have a lot of background on Jonathan to this point. We don't really know much about his character yet. But in the chapters to come, it's about to, his character is about to start shining like gold here. Because remember, he is the son of Saul. Remember that the kingdom was taken away from Saul's family. That means that Jonathan would be the next in line to be king Except for the fact that his dad messed it all up. And now here's this other person who's going to become king, really in place of Jonathan, David. And what does Jonathan do? He becomes best friends with David. He becomes his biggest supporter. He saves his life on one occasion. Tells him when to get out of Dodge because his dad's about to kill him. Now that speaks to Jonathan's character right there. That he wasn't just trying to... You know, to, to take things for himself but he wanted to, to be a part of what God was doing and so um, it's, it's his character and when we look around and ask the question are there people that, that would say I'm with you heart and soul um, it's a whole lot more likely that that's going to happen if they see godly character in us if they see a consistent faith again I say this all the time not perfection right in fact sometimes if we're too perfect people are like I can't relate to that person But I'm talking about consistency. I'm talking about having a genuine heart for God. And that gets lived out in the daily life. And people see that and they're like, yes, I can lock arms with this person. I can be a part of that. And his armor bearer did. And then you get down toward the end of the the, um, passage that we read for today. And they tell him, come on up. We'll teach you a lesson. And it says in verse 13 that Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. Now, again, remember, there are cliffs that they have to go up in order to get to them. So he's climbing up a cliff, and he's doing so using his hands and feet. That tells me it's very steep. That tells me that this was not easy. And think about all the energy that it would have taken, by the way, just to get up there and then to be ready to fight when you get up there. Talk about needing God to come through. Here's my last point for us. If we're going to go all in, that means that we persevere through difficulty. This was not easy. Getting up to them was not easy. And then he has to fight. It says that he killed 20 people in half an acre. That's not a very large um, area to, to fight and to kill 20 men. It's not easy. But he does it anyway. And whenever I look through Scripture, I have to ask myself the question, how many times in the Bible do I see God... Leading people in a certain direction because it's going to be easier if they follow him. And I can't think of any. I can think of plenty of examples where following God's direction makes things difficult and it, and it requires people to persevere. And it gives God a chance to show up. That's the cool part, right? Because when it's hard, that's when God shows up and God does what only God can do. And, and, and we get to say, wow, look what God did. But it's not easy. I mean, think about even the life of Jesus himself. Think about what Christ went through on our behalf. I mean, even just through his whole life, but even just the the last week of his life. Do you think it was easy being rejected by the religious leaders when Jesus came riding in on Palm Sunday? Do you think it was easy driving people out who were buying and selling in the temple? Do you think it was easy to be mocked and spat upon and to have a crown of thorns placed on his head? Do you think it was easy having the flesh ripped out of his back when he was flogged? And after all of that, do you think it was easy carrying his own cross up the hill to Golgotha? Do you think it was easy having the massive spikes driven through his hands and his feet? And was it easy for him to have to push himself up on those spikes just to take a breath? Do you think it was easy when God poured all of his wrath out upon Jesus when he was on the cross and he bore the wrath for sin that he did not deserve himself? Nothing that Jesus went through was easy. But he did it, number one, because it was a way for him to to obey and bring glory to his father because that was his mission. But the Bible also says he did it because he loves us. He did it because even though it wasn't easy, it was the only way for us to have the opportunity to be forgiven and to have new life in Christ. That's why he went through that for us. That's why Jesus gave his life for us. It wasn't easy. But he did it because he loves us. Because he loves you. And because he desires to have a relationship with each one of us. That truth boggles my mind. I will never understand why God desires relationship with us. I'm just grateful that he does. And so Christ went through all of that on our behalf. And it wasn't easy. But here's the amazing truth. Is that when we come to a point of putting our faith in Him, when we come to a point of acknowledging our own sinfulness, turning away from trying to do things on our own and putting our trust in Christ, and when we say yes to Jesus and we give our hearts to Him, we are reborn spiritually. And an amazing thing happens. The Bible says that we receive a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that the the very presence of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives inside of us as believers. And as a result of Him living inside of us, the Bible tells us that, that we at that point then have the power of God living in us. The full power that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of us. And so, although it's not easy, we have the power... And, and the strength to be able to engage in these spiritual battles. And here's the deal, church. I think sometimes we need to be the one to pick a fight. Now, I'm not talking about with another person. But I'm talking about in the spiritual realm, we need to pick a fight with the enemy. We need to be the one to, to be prepared to say, let's go take some ground here. And, and in Ephesians 6, when it talks about... Uh, the struggle that we have, it reminds us in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that it's against the authorities, against the powers and, of this dark world and the rulers of the, in the spiritual realms and those kinds of things. That's where our real battle is. And so when we're talking about picking a fight, we're talking about doing so in the spiritual realm. But then you read on in the verses that follow that in Ephesians chapter 6, and it talks about the armor that we are to put on. If we are to go into battle, we prepare ourselves by putting on the armor. And granted, the majority of that armor is defensive in nature, but there is one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit. And with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with the Word of God, we can cut the enemy down to size. And so I think it's time for us, church, to stop just being defensive all the time. It's time for us to stop being paralyzed by fear and sitting back and to remember what Hebrews 10.39 says, that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith and we stand firm. And we say, because I believe that that God is the one who fights the battles for me, because of that, I'm going to stand firm. You know the only thing that will keep us from having the power of God to, to give us to, to fight those battles? There's only one thing, and that is if we don't know him personally. I said a moment ago that at the point of faith, at the point of when we turn away from our sin and we put our trust in Jesus as Savior, that's when we receive the Holy Spirit. And if you've not yet come to that point of making that decision, that's where you've got to start today. See, we don't have the power of God in us until we trust in Christ as our personal Savior. When we do that, then we do have the full power of God. So don't back down. Be bold. Be ready to pick a fight with the enemy. And when the time comes to make a gutsy call, just go all in. Let's pray. God, would you give us that tenacity today? Would you give us the just the the spiritual stubbornness that that we, Lord, will not be moved, that the enemy will not prevail in our lives, Lord, because of you. Not because of us, but because of you. And Lord, I pray um, that you would fill us with your spirit in such a way that we have great boldness and that we stand firm and that at times we're ready to pick a fight because we don't want to see enemy win. And so give us that type of of confidence in you and boldness to continue to, to step forward even as Jonathan did. In Jesus' name we pray.